Welcome to the inner world of filmmaking. I'm your host, Tammy McGarrow. I'm an editor, podcaster, and still photographer. In this show, I will interview filmmakers in all facets of production and distribution. Today's guest is writer-director Sarah Holland, and we're going to talk about her directorial feature debut for her film, Egghead and Twinkie. Welcome, Sarah. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Tammy. And thank you for sending me your film. So I got to watch it before the interview. And I just thought, wow, it was so creatively done. I loved your transitions where, uh, I'll name a few, uh, when Egghead, he put his finger and then it was in another scene. I thought that was really cool. And then also the swish pan of a car going by to reveal an, a different location. Um, did you write all of that into the script? Most of it, yeah. Most of the transitions were pre-planned. Um, and there was definitely, I'd say, an influence of um, Edgar Wright in a lot of those transitions and kind of um, thinking about how we can approach them creatively um, and sometimes even to have like a comedic gag be a part of how we transition from one scene to another. Yeah, I mean, and, and as we know, as filmmakers, you know, you really have to shoot that into uh, when you're filming it, you have to shoot for any kind of graphics coming up and transitions to make sure that they cut well. So um, was that was there any challenges to that or did you feel like it flowed pretty naturally to um, setting up the shots? Oh, I'd say the trickiest thing to plan and film were definitely all of the whip pans that happen in the movie, which if you've seen it, you know, there's like a million whip pans. Yep. Um, the tough thing about whip pans is that when you're trying to do that transition, you need to remember to both whip out of the previous shot and then whip into the following shot, which is just, you know, you have to stay on top of that and make sure your script soup is on top of that as well. So you don't forget half of the transition. Um, and then the other thing is just landing the whip. Um, you know, you're whipping and you're whipping with the, the tripod to try to get the camera in the right place to frame up the shot. And oftentimes you overshoot it or it's <sighs> slightly askew or whatever. So you just have to keep resetting until you get it right. Um, so that's really props to our actors because they'd often have to say the first line, you know, over and over and over again. And so we finally got it right. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it was so creatively done. And, you know, you don't always see that in films today. So it's kind of nice when it's like a different approach to how do you get from one scene to the next scene, um, which I thought you did really well. So I was and also the animations, because if those animations are popping up, you really have to shoot a little wider to make sure that you're capturing it. You must have done storyboard, right? So did you have the graphics coming up in a storyboard to kind of see what the positioning um, I am actually notoriously bad at storyboarding, so I did some, but probably not as much as you would think because I'm, I'm very bad at drawing. Um, so it was mainly written into the script and then kind of a collaborative process between me and our lead animator, Jill, um, where they would go in and they would draw kind of what they were envisioning. Um, and we had like a bunch of... Um, we had like a massive animation style guide where we decided, you know, what the line art was going to look like, the colors that we were going to use, you know, was it going to be marker or was it going to be watercolor? You know, what kinds of textures did we want? So it was really more of a, a collaborative conversation between me and our animators and then combining that with what was written into the script. Now, did you meet your animators before you started shooting? Oh, that's a good question, actually. Um, we did hire our animators, yes, right before we started shooting, actually. Um, 
and we've never met in real life. Um, all of our work together was done virtually over Zoom, over Slack. Uh, so we're actually going to meet in person for the very first time at uh, a festival that we're going to next week, which is pretty crazy. Oh, my God. That's great. Well, which festival? Uh, we're going to BFI Flair in London. So a few of us are going to fly out there to support the film. How fun. Um, so how many film festivals have you entered your film into and how many are you going? Are you Do you plan to go to all the ones that you get accepted to? Uh, it kind of depends because some of the festivals have premiere status requirements. So if we get into one, then maybe that'll disqualify us from a subsequent fest. Oh. So it kind of depends. We're just kind of, you know, playing it by ear as we go. But, um, you know, so far it's been very promising. Um, the ones that I'm allowed to announce, uh, we've gotten into Cinequest, um, Cleveland International Film Festival, the Florida Film Festival, and uh, there's more to come. So uh, feeling feeling very lucky, for sure, to be in the position that we're in. Yes. Um, and then why don't you tell us a little bit about the film and how you came up with the idea? Yeah, of course. Um, so Egghead and Twinkie was originally an idea that I came up with when I was 19, a few months after coming out to my own parents. Uh, so I think that the coming out experience was very fresh in my mind. Um, and I wanted to challenge myself to try to find the heart and humor in that situation without diminishing how hard it can be. Just because I think that there's a certain power in being able to laugh at the things that scare us, you know, it makes it less scary and easier to talk about. Um, so really, I just wanted to make a, a coming of age comedy about the coming out process because I hadn't really seen that in media before. I feel like coming out is always portrayed as this overwhelmingly, you know, scary and, and negative thing. Um, so that's really where the kernel of an idea came from. And then from there, it just, you know, grew from our proof of concept short into a full length feature. How long did it take you to write it? Ooh, uh, okay. So it was kind of an interesting situation um, because we made the proof of concept short and then we used that short to win a grant from the Women Making a Scene International Film Project. And they actually put us on a pretty tight timeline to make the feature as kind of one of the conditions of accepting the grant. Um, so given their timeline, they wanted us to shoot the film within a year of um, winning that award. And at that time, I wow. actually hadn't written the feature script at all. Um, of I course just, not. <laughs> right. I just I wasn't expecting to win. Um, we, we had the treatment, but I didn't have the script. Um, so I really had to churn out the script. And I don't know, it was pretty short. I think I had the first draft done in maybe three, four months. Um, and then it was just, you know, revising it as we were doing pre-production and, and getting ready to shoot. Um, so it was definitely kind of a hectic process, but I almost feel like being under the pressure almost made it better because I really had to focus and, um, you know, give it 100% of my attention. Yes. Um, and and I mean, I thought that your end story was really great. I did see I was at that uh, uh, contest that you won, and um, I just thought that that film, just even the short film, was so great that I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be a wonderful feature. Like when she makes it. So well-deserved and win. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so now also um, a director and a DP's role is crucial. So I was just wondering, how did you work with Olivia Wilson? And how did you guys meet and then work together on this project as your as she was your DP? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Olivia is a very good friend of mine. 
She and I met in film school because uh, we were both doing a BFA in film production together. And she was our DP for the proof of concept. So I knew immediately that I wanted to bring her in to do the feature version because uh, she killed it on the short. And really, I was just, you know, hoping she would say yes. Uh, <laughs> and then she did. Um, so it, it all worked out. And she's equally as passionate about the film. She calls herself like the godmother of the film. And I, I would agree. Um, and really, it was just a, a very collaborative process. I think that doing the proof of concept short was helpful because we kind of figured out what we liked and what we didn't like. And then we could use that as kind of like our sample test um, moving into the feature and kind of expanding upon that. So did you guys um, come together to write the shot list or were you more, did you just write the shot list and then went over it with her or how did that work? It actually kind of depended um, on availability because, you know, with these indie micro-budget projects, um, everyone's juggling a bunch of stuff at the same time. Right. Uh, so I think for a good chunk of the film, we did shot list together. And then uh, towards the end, um, Olivia's availability, you know, was a little more restricted. So then I went in and did some shot listing on my own. Um, so it was kind of a combination of the two, I would say. And then uh, what kind of camera did you use to shoot it? And did you use more than one? Uh, we mainly used the Blackmagic um, Pocket 6K, uh, which is a very small camera. And that was done on purpose because we knew we were going to have to do some kind of guerrilla style shots on the side of the road. You know, with the road trip movie, we had to show the car driving in all of these different environments. And we weren't going to get a city permit, you know, to <laughs> block off a road or anything like that. Um, so we purposefully picked a, a pretty lightweight camera that could still shoot in really high resolution. Um, and then I think for a few of the shots, we, we used the Blackmagic Ursa Mini Pro. Um, and we actually started off with that, and then we made the switch to the 6K just to have, you know, a lighter, easier camera build. I was also wondering, what kind of challenges did you have in making this film? Oh, if, my God. If any. <laughs> if any. <laughs> well, which one do I pick? Um, it was just obstacle after obstacle. Uh, in a good way, you know, that's just part of it. I feel like that's what filmmaking is, is just right. creative problem solving, and that's half the fun. Um, but I'd say for us, um, one of our biggest obstacles was definitely COVID-19, the pandemic. Uh, wow. As I mentioned previously, with winning the Women Making a Scene grant, originally we were supposed to shoot within a year. So we were supposed to shoot in the summer of 2020. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then the world, you know, kind of fell apart. Everyone was in lockdown and uh, the whole crew was, you know, about ready to go. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything was kind of came to a standstill. Uh, so that was a major moment where we had to pivot. Uh, we ended up pushing production by an entire year um, to the following summer, the summer of 2021. But it actually ended up being almost a silver lining situation because we were afforded more time in pre-production, which ultimately I think was a really good thing. And um, we used that time to promote and market the movie on TikTok, which ended up being a massive game changer for us um, and was a huge source of our crowdfunding because uh, we launched our campaign um, in the later months of, of 2020. Um, so it all kind of worked out, I guess, the way that it should, but it was definitely a terrifying moment um, and created a lot of problems for us. Even shooting in 2021, we had to do all sorts of testing, people wearing PPE, 
uh, you know, there was always the the fear that someone was going to test positive and then we'd have to shut down the entire production and lose thousands of dollars. Um, yeah, definitely created a lot of problems for us. Did, did any of that actually happen? Did anybody get sick that you had to shut down or knock on wood, it all went well? It all went well, and it's completely thanks to our amazing COVID safety department. We really put a lot of people on that team and put a lot of emphasis on safety because we had a pretty large crew, you know, micro-budget-wise, I would say. We had anywhere from 20 to 30 people on set at a time. Um, so we really wanted to make sure that we were doing it safely. Um, and yeah, all of our efforts definitely paid off. I think there were a few times where we caught people that tested positive, but it was before they ever stepped foot on set. So we just told them, don't come to set. Right. Uh, and, and we were very preventative about it, I guess. So, uh, very proud of the team for being so on top of it. Oh, that's great. Um, so let's talk about funding because everybody's kind of curious about how does one fund their film and... So do you mind just talking to us a little bit about what was your budget? How did you go about getting the extra funds? And then also TikTok. Tell me about that. Yeah, of course. Um, so for us, the start of our budget uh, was the Women Making a Scene grant. Um, that was $36,000. Um, and there were some delays with that just because of COVID-19. So we were unsure about when those funds were going to come through, when or if they were going to come through. So we did some supplemental crowdfunding, which ended up being definitely the right move um, because we our budget grew quite a bit um, because of the COVID-19 pandemic and um, all of the changes that came along with that, crew availability, losing locations, things like that. So it started off with the grant, and then uh, we did our crowdfunding campaign, which we did on Seed and Spark, and we marketed that campaign very heavily on TikTok. Um, and that was a huge game changer for us. I was trying to figure out the exact percentage, but I think it's somewhere probably between 60 and 70% of our donations, I think, came from total strangers off of TikTok, wow. which is mind-blowing. That almost never happens. Um, when we were doing our research on Seed and Spark, you know, they have this training that you do to learn about crowdfunding. And they were saying, you know, approach social media with a grain of salt because most of your donations are going to come from your immediate friends and family and people that know you. And I do think that that's true for the vast majority of people. But because we were able to build this amazing community on TikTok prior to launching our campaign, it was just the perfect storm, the right time, the right platform. Um, and we were able to convince a lot of people that didn't know us um, to invest in the project, which was amazing. Um, and then from there, in addition to crowdfunding, we did have some private donations. Um, these weren't investors. They just wanted to donate because they loved the film that much and the message behind it, which was really incredible. Um, and most of those people found us, again, through TikTok and reached out and wanted to help in a bigger way, uh, which was just amazing. And then really everything else was just supplemented by myself and my producer, Danielle, uh, just out of our paycheck, you know, to to make ends meet. And uh, yeah, I'd say that's pretty much how we raised our budget there. So what did your, uh, what was your ending budget at with everything? Oh, it's still growing. That's the thing. It's still growing because nice. uh, we're doing festival promotion right now. And that's publicity costs and marketing costs and yada, yada, yada. Um, but I think for uh, pre-pro production and post-production, I think our end budget was 80000 Okay. So it just goes to show you, you can make a film for very little money and, and, and make a really good film, too. So kudos Thank to you. you. 
Um, well, why don't we just talk a little bit about, um, if you don't mind, just deeper dive to TikTok. What was your approach on what you wanted to show and how you were going to execute on TikTok? Like you had to probably have a little bit of a different strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think first and foremost, the reason why we succeeded on TikTok is just because uh, like I really love TikTok. I think it's such an interesting platform, um, the way that it's set up. I think it's the best platform out there now to grow your audience quickly. Um, because I used to be a YouTuber for many years. I would post on YouTube like once a week and then I'd cross-pollinate on Instagram and Facebook and all the other platforms. And it's really tough to meet, to grow your audience and to get your content in front of new eyes. Um, but the way that TikTok is set up is basically you're just scrolling through a constant feed of new creators and new content. Um, so if you're able to capture people's attention right away, then you're good. They'll watch the rest of your video. They might follow you. They might become invested and, and comment and interact with your future posts. Um, so really our approach was with our first ever TikTok video, which was the one that ended up blowing up. So our very first video was the one that went viral, which was just the craziest awesome. night of my life, probably. Yeah. Um, but uh, with that video, it was essentially meant to be a pitch for the movie, a one minute pitch. And I knew with the way that TikTok was set up, you know, if people aren't immediately interested in the first two seconds, they will swipe away and you've just lost that viewer. Um, so for me, I was like, how do I get people's attention right off the bat? So I started it with kind of a hook, which was, do you like Scott Pilgrim, Little Miss Sunshine, and The Half of It, which are three movies that are kind of similar to our film. And then I had like little moving gifs of all of those movies. Um, and so that meant that if, you know, the viewer liked any of those three movies, that maybe they'd stay and watch the rest of it. And from there, it was just, you know, doing a really snappy pitch with fun transitions and lots of visuals to keep people engaged. And then a call to action at the end to like and comment on the video if it was something they were interested in seeing and then everyone kind of got behind that pitch and uh yeah it, it blew up and we grew a massive audience within a few days which was really incredible oh that's so great because you just never know but maybe um the pearl was is you're a TikToker, you like it you watch it so you're kind of aware of what people are looking for in a video in a short yeah, I definitely think it helps to know the platform and to spend some time on it before you even think of posting. Like for me, I think I was on the app just lurking, like watching other people's videos and getting a sense for what was out there, especially on now it's called like Film Talk, which is where all these indie filmmakers are, you know, making TikTok videos about their process. But at the time that um, I was doing my field research, if you want to call it that, there really wasn't very much content out there about film production. It was mainly people, you know, that enjoyed watching films, maybe reviewing or talking about their favorite movies. So I definitely saw kind of a, I guess, a lack of content there. And I wondered if there was a demand for it. Um, so I saw an opportunity and, you know, the timing was right um, to step in and kind of fill that hole. Now, you edit as well, because I saw that you were one of the three editors. Um, so did you edit these TikTok videos? The first video, the pitch video, all of those beginning videos, um, I acted in them, I filmed them, I edited them all by myself. And then once we started production, we wanted to do like a daily vlog type thing where we filmed what was going on on set. 
So I made a style guide of how I wanted those videos to be cut together, the types of fonts they should use, the naming conventions, blah, blah, blah. And then we hired a team of TikTok videographers uh, and TikTok editors, and they rotated on set and they would film and they would, um, you know, send that footage off to the editor who would edit it at night and then post it. Um, just because I was directing, obviously, yeah. I couldn't be doing that at the same time. And they were all amazing. Wow. So how did you find them? That's interesting. Yeah, it, it took a little extra organizing, but I'm so glad we did it because it's so fun to be able to look back now and watch all of those videos and remember exactly what we did on set that day. Um, so all of those TikTok videographers are people that were in um, the UCF, which is the University of Central Florida film program, their undergraduate film program. Uh, so they were students that were eager to get on set and help out and get their hands dirty. And yeah, they were fantastic. Now, did you give them any guidance to what you, you were looking for? Or did you just give them full reign to just go pick up something and we'll see what what comes of it? Um, I definitely wanted it to seem consistent because one of the things I was worried about was that, you know, people coming to our page would think, oh, all of these videos look and sound so different. You know, we want it to seem like it's one consistent brand. Yeah. Uh, so there are definitely meetings, you know, about what we wanted these things to look like, um, style guides that people could follow so they knew exactly uh, what font they should use, what filter, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that was kind of our, our way of keeping it consistent was just making sure that everyone was following the guidelines that were set out in pre-pro. And that's probably why it made it so successful. I think that's very important in people, you know, and that you came to that with that in mind that, hey, we need to have brand, we need to have a certain style. And it also guiding people because sometimes people don't get guided. They just like, just do whatever, you know, so I'm glad that you approached it that way. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes a huge difference for micro budget productions, especially um, because people get their first impression of your production from your social media and your website and whatever you have out there on the internet. So for people that found us on TikTok or Instagram, I wanted to make sure that their first impression was, oh, wow, this looks really professional. Like I wanted them to think that we had more money than we had um, yeah. or maybe more people involved than we did, you know, because um, you, you only have that first impression obviously once because it's the first impression uh, and you don't want to blow it or, or to lead people to think that it's unorganized or messy or, you know, something that they shouldn't invest their time in. Right. Now, what did you edit the film on? Uh, Premiere Pro, we did all of our cutting in, and then we did our final export in DaVinci Resolve. Okay. Um, and then uh, you had Christina League as your main editor, correct? Uh, it was actually both Christy and Anna DeFinis uh, and myself. It was truly really a, a, the three of us. It was a really interesting process where we were passing the cut around between the three of us, all kind of working in tandem. And are you all in the same area? No, that was <laughs> that was another interesting thing is um, Anna was about two, three hours away. And then Christy and I were both in Orlando, but never in the same room at the same time because we're both very busy people. So basically how we approached it was we took uh, the film, we took the timeline and we divided it into six equal reels. So six parts. And then we would each take turns editing two reels at a time. Um, and so really the, the biggest obstacle with that was obviously making sure that the style is consistent, the pacing is consistent. Um, but we kind of had to do some like creative problem solving. Uh, and we would each take like different 
sections at a time. And then once we got sick of this one section, then we'd switch. So it was kind of a good way to keep our eyes somewhat fresh, you know, not to be working on the same scene, you know, as just one person day in and day out. Yeah. And was it challenging merging all the projects together? Yeah, that did prove to be a little bit tricky because what happened was, is, you know, sometimes somebody's Premiere Pro would automatically update and somebody else's wouldn't. And then, you know, it would cause a little bit of a problem, but uh, nothing too bad. I feel like we, we were able to figure it out. Yeah, I guess those are. Yeah. And it, there's there's workarounds. You know, as an editor, you're always figuring out the workarounds. So that that's really cool that. That way you're not, it's not a daunting project that you're all alone in, because I know as an editor, you know, you're alone most of the time, but at least you had two other people to talk to and collaborate with. Oh, absolutely. It was super helpful. And especially there was actually a period of time where Christy kind of had to step away from the project for a couple of months. Um, And at the time, you know, Anna and I were like, oh, no, like we've lost Christy for a little (laughs) bit. But uh, it ended up being a good thing because by the time Christy kind of came back in, she was able to be a completely fresh set of eyes, which was so valuable to us at that time because Anna and I were just going crazy. We were like, we don't know if this is funny anymore. We don't know (laughs) if this even makes sense. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, having the three of us was really uh, a really nice arrangement. And they're also two of my closest friends. So it was just really great. Oh, that's cool. Now, did you always have that in mind that you the three of you were going to edit it or did this come about later on? Uh, This definitely came about later on because originally Christy was supposed to be, you know, the main editor. And then I think Anna originally was brought on to be an assistant editor. So, you know, just organizing the footage, um, mainly on the organizational side of things. Um, And then I was like, I'll just kind of edit you know, if you need me. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, you know, it, it ended up being that Christy didn't have the same availability uh, with COVID pushing production back a year. Um, so then it ended up that all three of us were equally involved. Oh, that's great. And I got to mention music. I mean, you had some really get great music. So how did you go about licensing the music and picking the music for? The oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad you enjoyed the score because music for me is such a big part of a film. And I was making playlists for this movie before it even existed because uh, I just love music so much. So for me, with the score, I guess, do you want to talk about the score first? The instrumental yes. Score? Yes, okay. please. Um, with the score, I knew it was so important that we find the right composer um, because music can just make or break those emotional moments. Um, so even though we were a micro-budget film, like I really wanted to do, you know, a search for the right person. And we ended up narrowing it down to kind of six composers who then, um, I'm very grateful that they went along with this, who, uh, then did kind of a test scene where they composed, um, for a scene and then sent it in, um, so that I could kind of get a sense for how they would approach our material, um, And then I went through and listened to all of those. And, you know, in addition to having conversations with these people, uh, and it was very easy for me to pick our composer, which was uh, Ben Thornwell, who was just amazing. I mean, I knew when I heard his sample, I was like, this is this is the person. It was just like a perfect fit. It was what I was imagining in my head brought to life. And working with him was truly incredible. Um, Yeah, couldn't be happier with how the score turned out. Yeah. And then I guess working with a composer, uh, did you give them um, 
songs you like to kind of, or did you just say free reign on putting something together and let me see what you come up with versus guiding them? Uh, there was definitely some guidance involved. Um, it was interesting because I personally was torn between two different approaches to the score. I wasn't sure whether we wanted to do a more acoustic type uh, coming of age score, kind of like Juno or Little Miss Sunshine, where there's like a lot of guitars and organic instruments. And and yet another part of me was thinking, oh, maybe we should do more like synth or electric based, like Eighth Grade and Love Simon and Heartstopper and a lot of these kind of newer uh, coming of age movies. I think the kind of the push towards doing more electronic is because of the advent of social media. Um, kind of impacting all of these narratives. So I was really torn. So I made two different playlists, one that was like acoustic based with all of these songs that I loved, and then another that was more electro based. And then I sent that to Ben and was like, what do you think? Um, and he said, what if we tried to do kind of a combination of the two and we have the instruments actually kind of reflect each of the different characters? And I was like, that sounds amazing. So, you know, just as an example, like Egghead, since he's the more kind of grounded, grounded, like straight man type of character, um, his instruments, like for his scores, are all organic instruments, um, guitar, uh, piano, um, whereas like BD, who's the super cool hip DJ, all of her stuff is synths. So I don't know. I just thought that that was so cool and kind of something that maybe the audience would like register subconsciously as they're watching the movie. And did when you were sending out to see to choose the composer, did you send out the same scene or did you send out different scenes for each person to see what they'd come up with? The same scene. And now I'm remembering we actually sent out two scenes. Um, the second one was a bonus. I was like, you only have to do the first one. If you want to do the second one, you can. And everybody did both, which I'm just so grateful to every composer that even like went along with this process because they were all amazing. It's really just the matter of finding the right fit with this sort of thing um but yeah so it was really cool because i basically had two different scenes from six different composers and the exact same scene so i could watch them all back to back and their approaches were just all so wildly different it was really really incredible how did you find them the internet <laughs> <laughs> that's like a recurring thing i feel like with our approaches we just find people on the internet um um yeah i i some of them I reached out to because they were um, a part of bands that I really liked because I listened to a lot of indie music. So Ben, who ended up being our composer, the one that I, I went with, um, he's actually the lead singer of an indie pop band called Jukebox the Ghost. And I've been a huge fan of them since high school. Like I literally been to see them in concert <laughs> before. Um, now Ben like has worked with me. I don't know. It's a kind of surreal thing. Um, and then, yeah, I reached out to some other, you know, uh, performers and bands that I loved and then some other people that I had encountered uh, through TikTok, some local people. And, yeah, it was just a, a matter of finding the right fit. Yeah, it's kind of amazing with social media because, you know, um, like even Instagram, you can find a whole bunch of people like just doing that hashtag and then you can drill down to see what other people are doing or just somehow they get in your feed and you're just like, Oh my God, they're great. I would have never known about them. So I just love that the internet can bring us people from all over the world. Um, and that people, for the most part, I think are pretty open, open to you reaching out to them. Yeah, absolutely. I 
I am so thankful to be making movies in the age that I am just because of social media. The fact that I can message a filmmaker I think is cool and the worst that they can do is not respond to me. Right. You know, it's just it's never been easier to to reach out to people. And I've been surprised at the number of people that will respond and will give you the time of day. And I just think that that's such a cool thing. Yes. Um. So where's your film out? You know, can people see it? Uh, not yet. Not yet. We uh, we just finished up our virtual world premiere at CineQuest Film Festival. So it was streaming for about 12 days, but that just ended. Okay. Um, so now we're going to be doing in-person festivals for at least the next two to three months. Um, and we'll see where that takes us. You know, the hope is obviously that we'll find the right distributor and that we can get it on streaming platforms so that people can watch it from home. Right. And is that what your um, thoughts are right now is trying to get a distribution company? Are you working on that or you feel like at the film festivals you're meeting people and hopefully that's how it's going to go down? Yes, the latter. Um, really, our, our focus right now is to go to festivals and to, to try to rack up as much hype, as many awards, as much yes. attention, as much press as possible. I'm really not in a rush to get this thing distributed right away. Um, I want to wait and see what our options are just because I know that I, I know that we can get this on streaming. Um, but I really want to try to find the right distributor. And for that, I think that that takes time. And I want to make sure that we're putting our best foot forward so that when we are reaching out to these distributors, you know, we can say, we've gotten into XYZ festivals, here are all of our press articles, you know, yada, yada, and uh, try to give ourselves the best shot. Yes. Um, and then are there any projects that you're thinking about in the horizon or pretty much the focus is getting this film? Oh, um, I definitely, I am looking forward to my next project. Um, I would love to make a second feature. <laughs> yes. Um, or at least a short, come on. <laughs> right, yeah. So I do have a few ideas um, rolling around in my head. Uh, you know, thematically, I'd say there are some things that are similar to Egghead and Twinkie. Uh, I want to continue telling LGBTQ stories and Asian American stories just because, you know, those are communities that are very important to me personally. Um, but then on top of that, some brand new things, um, like some some themes I'm thinking of tackling are like parallel lives and time travel and <laughs> wow, uh, definitely different, different from Megan and Twinkie, sibling relationships. Um, yeah, I'm kind of at that stage now where, you know, since Egan and Twinkie is winding down, I'm really letting myself, you know, brainstorm and think big. So I have a few ideas and then from there, you know, I'll narrow it down to whatever the next one's going to be. Do you think that at this point you have a certain style of directing and writing or do you think it just will, you know, ebb and flow through different projects? Um, I think it's it's definitely coming together in that, yeah, I am seeing parallels and things within my own work. Um, and I think one of those things is I would love to do another project with animation again. Um, I'm always thinking about how I can blend live action and the animation. Uh, I think Egghead and Twinkie was really just the start of what that could be. Um, and I really love, I don't know, kind of comedy with an edge where I feel like Egghead and Twinkie, you know, it's funny, but there are also some lines that are kind of like, <laughs> I don't know, um, self-deprecating or uh, have a little bit of an edge to them. And I think also, you know, tackling important issues through comedy, I think, is something that I'm really interested to explore further, um, as well as, you know, these central themes of identity. 
So I do see, you know, obviously I'm young and this is my debut feature, but I'm starting to see, you know, some commonalities in uh, the stylistic elements that I find myself gravitating towards. Well, and also um, the things that you can do with uh, the Asian culture and bringing that theme in and LGBTQ, you know, just spinning it in a different way. Sky's the limits to where you can go with it. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I think, I don't know, there's this weird idea with the telling minority stories um, that they're like, oh, you're making a gay Asian movie? Well, that's actually already been done. Have you seen the half of it? Or have you seen Saving Face or whatever? And I'm like, there's allowed to be more than one <laughs> or right. more than two or more than 20, you know? Like, I, I don't hear people saying that about, you know, the million rom-coms that are out there with, you know, white guys as the main protagonist. Right. So I, I think it's so important to show that there's a variety of stories Um you know, and I don't feel limited because I've had people say that to me when they're like, oh, you want to make another, you know, possibly queer Asian story? Like, why are you putting yourself in that box? And I don't really think of it as a box. I just think of it as what comes naturally to me because, you know, that's my experience. And I think that there's so much to explore even within that arena. Yeah, that's funny that you should say that because it's like, does anybody say, you know, I'm, I'm tired of the hetero couples. Let's, you know, do you still have to do that? Do you have to have children in it? Like, you know, it's just like people don't, it's, it's just interesting. And I'm so glad, like with the Oscars and the diversity, it was like, wow, this is great. You know, I think we need definitely more of it and definitely more of it in the films of today. And I, I'm, I'm happy that there seems to be, we're headed in that direction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, things look very promising um, because I don't know, things were, really stuck in one place for so long. And I think a lot of uh, minority filmmakers and actors felt like there was a definite ceiling uh, that they could reach. And that was just very frustrating. But now I see that changing and I think it's so exciting. Um, and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really optimistic about where we're moving in the future. Yes. So any last thoughts you want to leave our listeners with um, about either directing or anything that you would like to say that didn't get a chance to say? Ooh, boy. I feel like there's so many things that I learned. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I would say for anyone interested in making their own micro-budget feature, uh, know that half the battle is stamina, uh, and it's going to take a really long time uh, because, you know, when you don't have money, usually things take longer if you're trying to do a quality job. Um, so with this film, you know, from start to finish, from the original concept to where we are now, it's been six years, uh, which is incredibly long. Wow. Um, so I would say, you know, my advice would be to pick an idea or to come up with an idea for a film that you just absolutely love, because there will be so many times throughout the process where you question yourself and you wonder, like, can I do this? Should I just give up? This is too hard. There's too many things going wrong. Um, and I think, you know, having an idea that you just are so passionate about that you'd do anything for, I really think that that is what pulled me through those times where I was like, I need to make this film because I just love it so much. Like, I, I genuinely really, really love these characters in the story. Um, so that would be my, my piece of advice is to make something that you personally are just so excited about that you think is the bee's knees. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was so great, and I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening. 
I encourage you to get out there and make a film. Reach out to your local filmmakers group to get involved and connect. Please subscribe to the show if you like it, and follow me on Instagram at Tammy Madero. Until we meet again, what's your story? <laughs>